Today on Blue 58, we have talked through all the prospects. We've tried to figure out who's going to be good and who is going to be bad. We've discussed who fits with what the Packers like to do. There is just one thing left to do for the NFL draft, predicting how this whole thing is going to play out. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink, and I am very happy to be with you here for today's episode. Because, as I say, every year at this time, the hay is in the barn. We've done the work. We've talked about all the prospects. Now we just got to figure out what's going to happen. But first, I don't know if you heard this, but the Packers traded Aaron Rodgers. It's over. This long road ended the only way I suppose it could. We started talking about Aaron Rodgers and his future with the Packers, I guess, after, in a way, after the 2019 NFC Championship game, after the Packers lost to the 49ers, we started talking about Aaron Rodgers' future. And then things got a little bit more strange when they drafted Aaron Love, or (laughs) when they drafted Jordan Love, Aaron Rodgers' future got a little bit more uncertain. And then things just kind of continued to go a little bit more and more strangely from there. You know the story. In the end, the Packers make what looks like a pretty good deal with the New York Jets. The Packers get the 13th overall pick. They get pick number 42. They get pick number 207. And they get a 2024 second-round pick that turns into a first-round pick if Aaron Rodgers plays at least 65% of the Jets' plays on offense in 2023. Seems like a fair bet that's going to happen unless things go terribly wrong. The Jets get... Aaron Rodgers, of course. They get pick number 15, so a swap there, and they get pick number 170. The gut-level reaction here is that the Packers seem to have done pretty well. They got a fair amount for a guy who was never going to play for them again, for a guy who was going to cost them $60 million this year, essentially. It seems like the Jets moved off a little bit of what we have had heard down the stretch, what they were looking for, what they thought they were going to get from the Packers, How much of that was a smokescreen from the Jets? How much of that was honest reporting? We'll never know. In the end, the Packers got what amounts to a second-round pick this year and a likely first-round pick next year. They got pretty well. They, They got out of this pretty well. And to the extent that the Packers allowed the Jets to protect their future assets, that seems pretty fair, too, because the Jets are projected protected against an absolute disaster, but the Packers still get at least a second-round pick. And contrary to what we heard, I think, from Charles Robinson a couple times about what the Jets were looking for, it doesn't appear that the, the Packers are going to be giving back anything in 2025, regardless of what Aaron Rodgers does in 2024. The Packers win here. The Packers got assets for a guy that they didn't want anymore. And I guess rewinding the clock a little bit further, they got to have it both ways, really. They got to have one last big shot with Aaron Rodgers, extending him last offseason. They got to try it, and then they got out of the contract when it really didn't work. A year later, a year after that contract extension, I feel like the Packers are in a pretty good spot. The question now is, how do you feel about it? And we talked about this a little bit when Aaron Rodgers announced his intention to play for the New York Jets six weeks and change ago, or just about six weeks ago. I don't really know how I feel. Now that it's all over, I guess a big theme of this podcast for me personally is relief. Aaron Rodgers' storyline is at an end. The uh, the draft prep process is at an end. But in terms of the end of the Aaron Rodgers era in Green Bay, I don't really know how to feel just yet. And I think 
wherever you're at in your process of thinking about it, even if you don't want to think about it at all, I think it's pretty much okay. If you're happy to just be done with it, I think that's legit. Like I said, we've been talking about this storyline in some form for three years now. That's a long time. And that gets kind of exhausting after a while. So I totally understand if that's where you're at. If you're sad to see Aaron Rodgers go, I understand that too. There's a part of me that's there uh, just because of the the end of 18 years of having one guy around and you know what it says about where I'm at in my life and, and what has transpired over those 18 years. That's That's a long time. Maybe you're happy to see him go. I get that. Maybe you're just sick of putting up with the stuff that you, you have to read about in the media. And, you know, people say, well, just don't pay attention to that. Well, do you follow the NFL anymore? If you want to follow the NFL and you want to talk about the Packers, all that there's been to talk about since January has been just bizarre stuff. And, you know, in the past couple of off seasons, you've had to talk about and, and read about Aaron Rodgers going on you know, wellness retreats and ayahuasca ceremonies and things like that. And if you're just a little bit sick of that, I totally understand that too. If you're conflicted by all this, buddy, I'm there with you. Because Aaron Rodgers has been responsible for some of the most incredible moments of my sports life. And you never want to see it end acrimoniously with the team that he's played for, the only team that he's played for in his entire career. Even if you're mad at the Packers, I think there's some of that too. We've talked about that over the past couple of years at times as well. There's a good chance that we're not in this situation at all if Aaron Rodgers and Brian Gutekunst have a better relationship dating back to 2018, 2019. Not all of that is Brian Gutekunst's fault, but not all of that is Aaron Rodgers' fault either. There has been enough smoke that's come out related to other people that I think you have some fair criticisms if you want to point some fingers at Brian Gutekunst and say, hey man, what's going on? Like, why Why is this happening again and again? Star players are annoyed at you. What's going on with that? And I guess if if you are feeling any of those things, I think it's all legit, and you've got ammunition, whatever you choose. As it pertains to where the Packers are right now, they sit with this heading into the draft this year. They've got 13, 42, 45. And 78. So four picks in the top 80. Not too shabby. Beyond that, 116, 149, 207, and then four sevenths. 232, 235, 242, and 256. So how are they going to use all of those assets? We have arrived at that portion of the offseason. What are the Packers actually going to do in the NFL draft? First, some overall thoughts, having gone through every position group now. I like this draft. It's not the best one I've seen, but I think there are a lot of useful players throughout this draft. The top end doesn't really seem as good as some recent years, but I think rounds two through four are really, really good. I've seen a few people describe this as a flat draft. That seems pretty accurate. There's just a lot of talent that's about the same, again, through those rounds two through four sort of area of the draft. Beyond that, things drop off, but they always do. Once you're into, well into day three, you're throwing darts, and everybody is at that point. The offensive line is interesting. I think there's a lot of players. There are a lot of players that fit what the Packers do. Tight end is just fabulous. We've talked about that at length. Cornerback is great if you're not too hung up on size. It's a really interesting class, and I think you can really find a lot of good stuff, especially through the middle rounds. 
Second big thought, though, is that the first round kind of scares me. The first round always scares me a little bit because there's pressure with that first pick because that's well, the first one. It should be the, the deepest talent pool. You should be able to find somebody good in there. And if you can't, it kind of puts your, your whole draft behind the eight ball. I do, however, think there is a pretty steep drop-off after the first five to eight picks or so. The list of just blue-chip guys seems really short. And beyond that list of guys, you're going, yeah, but, on just about everybody. He's a great athlete, but he didn't have a ton of production. Or he had a ton of production, but he's not a great athlete. And 13 is kind of a tough place to be in some ways because you're either hoping some guy falls or maybe somebody jumps up and and wants to trade with you so you can move back to like 18, 19, 20, something like that. The first round always is going to be a little bit scary, but I think there are some real reasons to be scared of that a little bit in this year's draft in particular. Thirdly, safety is a real problem. Throughout this draft, for just about anybody who's looking for one, I don't know what to do there. No matter what you're looking for, you're going to have to compromise here. You've got to compromise on height or athleticism or the kind of position the guy plays. If the guy is a traditional like deep, deep safety, chances are he's not that athletic. If you want a guy who's like a box safety, chances are he's not that big or hasn't done it a whole lot. And if you want a slot guy, well, that's good, but there aren't even a, really any elite athletes who do that this year. And even among the guys who do, they all tend to be pretty small. It's a tough position, and it's a tough year to be needing a safety, and unfortunately, the Packers kind of need a safety, but I think they might just be at a point where they're going to say, hey, we're just going to we're gonna ride this out, we're going to see what happens, and we're going to do our best with the guys that we got. Now, I am excited, finally, for what I think should shake out to be a relatively normal draft. At worst, I think we're just going to have normal crazy in this year's draft instead of franchise-altering crazy. In 2020, the Packers trade up for Jordan Love. In 2021, you have Adam Schefter dropping the news on draft day that Aaron Rodgers would like to be traded or may retire, whatever the case is. He's not coming back to the Packers. He came back to the Packers. He did get traded. Schefter just off by a couple of years. 2022, you have the post-Adams hangover. The Packers, you know, give up or trade a first-round pick for Devontae Adams. You've got the draft following that one probably the most normal one of the past three years. But even so, this draft should just be a normal sort of normal sort of crazy. It, I can settle for that. We can deal with that. Now, three parts left in this preview podcast. I want to talk about some guys that I like at every position other than quarterback because hopefully the Packers aren't in a, in a position to really take a quarterback. I want to make some predictions that I want to take a few of your questions. So guys that I like, to kind of sum up all the research that we've done, running back, starting with running back, two guys, Keaton Mitchell out of Eastern Carolina and Ty J. Spears out of Tulane. Mitchell is small, but just so fast, 4.37, 40-yard dash, and Spears just looks like a clone of Aaron Jones. If the Packers need a running back, I would be very happy with one of those two guys. At wide receiver, Really, we're looking beyond the first round here. Probably second, third round seems like the the real priority spot to get a receiver. Wide receivers are like Jonathan Mingo out of Mississippi, Rasheed Rice out of SMU, and Tyler Scott out of Cincinnati. In Mingo and Rice, you've got two guys who really fit what the Packers like to do, even down to how they like to move their guys around. Mingo in particular, as we talked about on the receiver episode last week, even did some inline stuff. That 
it seems like a really good fit, both of those guys, historically, for what the Packers like to do. And Scott, as we talked about on the receiver podcast, it seems like the Packers are interested in at least the idea of breaking their tendencies this year a little bit at receiver. If you're going to break a tendency, Scott seems like an interesting sort of player to do that with. I would also throw Marvin Mims in there as well. Tight end, Darnell Washington obviously has my entire heart. Uh, just have been really in love with what he does and very excited about uh, the things that he can offer to whatever team he ends up on. And Sam Laporta, I think, has grown on me. I think there's a chance that he could be a little bit undervalued based on where he was in college and the sort of offense and quarterback situation he was playing in. That seems like a real growth opportunity there. And you may not have to pay a premium to get him. You Probably a third-round pick there, just a guess. Offensive line, nobody in particular. A bunch of guys on day three fit what the Packers are looking for. If I had to guess, they might be looking for someone with some sort of center versatility too because that seems like the position right now that is the most uncertain, at least in the short term, on the Packers' offensive line. Josh Myers, probably not the answer there. They seem ready to at least open things up a little bit there. Look for somebody baby, maybe with a little bit of center center versatility, and I think there are some good options there, even some pure centers that I think might be worth considering. On the defensive line, three guys, all second round or later. Keanu Benton out of Wisconsin, love his versatility. If this was the early 2000s, he would be like priority day three or uh, three technique tackle on day two. It wouldn't be day two because the, of how things worked differently back then, but you understand what I'm saying. You'd be like a second, third round, like we got to get this guy and put him at three technique. Now I think you play him as like a, a base end, especially in a three, four. He seems like he could do some really interesting things, maybe even bump inside and, and play some nose reps. Uh, Jervon Dexter out of Florida. We mentioned him on our preview show for defensive line. All the physical tools in the world, Great size, great length, great playing weight for a defensive end. Worry a little bit about his production, but physically he is one of the cleanest prospects that are that is in the draft uh, at the position. And then Moro Ojomo out of Texas. Uh, love his youth, love his productivity, uh, even if it's a little bit under what we look for. And I love his athleticism. Think he's a really moldable player who's got a lot of good football in front of him, still on the way up as a player. At edge... I just can't shake Isaiah Foskey out of Notre Dame. I just keep looking at his numbers, look what, at what he did on the field. Just seems like a guy who's going to be good in the NFL. Not necessarily the flashiest prospect, not overwhelming numbers, but just good across the board. And I also really like Will McDonald out of Iowa State. He is not a perfect edge rusher. He's 230-something pounds, but he's just so bendy. He is so – I love the kind of rubber bandy – players from time to time. Just all arms and legs. Honestly, that's one of the things that appeals to me about watching Jordan Love. Just a different looking sort of guy compared to Aaron Rodgers and compared to a lot of NFL quarterbacks out there. Just he's a big kind of loose jointed guy and that Will McDonald is that same sort of way too. I don't have a whole lot of uh, thoughts about off-ball linebackers. Jack Campbell seems pretty interesting though. Uh, I wonder if he ends up playing inside linebacker in the NFL, if he ends up being some sort of quasi-edge sort of player. Very long, very tall for an inside linebacker, but you never know. Uh, Times are always changing in the NFL, and what NFL teams are looking for always seems to be changing as well, so maybe he ends up being a a stud inside linebacker. At cornerback, still just love watching Christian Gonzalez out of Oregon. 
uh, another one of these long-limbed, smooth operator sort of cornerbacks that are just so fun to watch. And then Trey Tomlinson um, out of TCU. I know he's small, but he's just a lot of fun to watch too. And at safety, uh, again, not a great safety class, but Sidney Brown out of, out of Illinois is in a similar mold to Trey Tomlinson. Just small, athletic, dynamo sort of player. Never going to end up in Green Bay, you would think. But, hey, he's still a lot of fun to watch. Okay, predictions time. First and foremost, what do the Packers do in the first round? I think it's down to an offensive lineman or an edge rusher. I think there is a non-zero chance that they go with a tight end, but that would surprise me. Why do I think offensive line or edge? A couple of reasons. First, that is a foundational part of any successful team. A group uh, edge rushers in with your defensive line in a way. A strong offensive line, a strong defensive line, at the very least a strong pass rush is going to make every other part of your roster seem better just by association. It makes everybody else's job easier. And if you're trying to bolster up a young quarterback, bolstering the offensive line long-term is a good move. And the Packers have some holes in the relatively near term on their offensive line. David Bakhtiari's cap number goes way up next year. You're probably looking at a, a move on him in the near future. Maybe it's a year from now. Shoot, maybe they do something wild this offseason yet, but that would be a little bit unexpected. David Bakhtiari is not a future player on the Packers' offensive line. We're not looking at him being on the Packers in 2025. So if the Packers are looking to bolster their offensive line, taking a tackle would be a way to do that, even if he doesn't play in 2023. Looking to 2024, when, again, the Packers have two first-round picks and he might really be starting to build towards something on that team, I, I think that's when you're starting to think about offensive line having a real impact. And then edge rusher, again, defensive line, pass rush, that's making everybody else's job easier on defense. Keep bolstering, keep throwing bodies at that edge rusher position. Even if you don't technically need one, you're going to have a better defense as a result. We saw that with the Packers building with Rashawn Gary right after they signed Zedaria Smith and Preston Smith. That only helped them in 2019, in 2020, that's the sort of thing that we're talking about here. And it doesn't hurt that you would have somebody to help fill in for Rashawn Gary in the near term as Gary comes back from from a knee injury. Now, if you're looking for a specific group of guys, I think it boils down to this. Here's my five. Lucas Van Ness and Miles Murphy on the edge. Darnell Wright on the offensive line. Michael Mayer, if they decide to go to uh, go with a tight end, and then if he falls, I think Jackson Smith and Jigba has got to be at least a consideration at 13. I don't think he's going to get to 13. It would be highly unusual for the first receiver in the draft to go at 13, but stranger things have happened. If you're looking for somebody who could fall, a guy with some questions about his overall productivity, maybe some some injury concerns too, that would be some of the profile of a guy who would who would slide. And if he wasn't the consensus number one receiver in the class, if this was any other year, you'd be talking about a guy who might get pushed down toward the end of the first round, I think, as good as he was that one year in college. And it was two years ago now, technically. I guess it was really just the season before the most recent one, but I think you understand what I'm saying. It was 2021. We're in 2023 now. 
So that's my five. I think it's going to be Lucas Van Ness, Miles Murphy, Darnell Wright, Jackson Smith and Jigba, or Michael Mayer. Pick from that five. I think that's who it's going to be. That's my guess. Predictions for elsewhere in the draft. We've talked about this before, but I think the Packers will pick an offensive lineman at some point. If they don't go with an offensive lineman in the first round, it's going to be somebody on day two or three, maybe multiple guys. There are just too many guys who meet the thresholds late, especially in the interior, and they do need some help on their interior line, short and long term. I also think they're going to double dip at tight end. There are lots of available options, especially starting in the second round through like the fifth or sixth round. Lots of great athletes. I think, shoot, was it like 20 guys that we had on our list of tight ends that went in the top 200 picks? And of those, it's like 16 or 17 are 8-plus RAS guys or 9-plus relative athletic score guys. It's a bunch of stud athletes in this class, and the Packers have a screaming need at tight end. I would be surprised if they didn't draft more than one. I think they're also going to add a receiver. I think they're also going to add a running back. So two tight ends, a receiver, and a running back. That's four guys added on offense. The Packers, I think, are going to be spending picks at their skill positions because they've got needs at all the skill positions. They've got needs at receiver. They need more talent there. Aaron Jones and uh, A.J. Dillon are both effectively in a contract year. Tight end, again, enormous need, one of the biggest on the team. It's, It's a big problem. They need help at skill positions. I think they're going to take a lot of them this weekend. I also think the Packers are going to trade up at some point. They have too much kind of supplementary ammunition to not be moving up a little bit in like the fourth or fifth round. That's where I think maybe some of those seventh round picks, maybe one of those seventh round picks is going to come into play. I would also predict though that I think that the Packers are going to make three of their four seventh round picks. That really aligns with some of the visits they've been having. Rather than trying to sign these guys as undrafted free agents, I think Brian Gutekunst is going to want to take them and probably hang on to them. We saw he he hung on to all of his draft picks last year. Some of them didn't even see the field, really, but they are of value to Gutekunst, and I think there's a good chance that he's going to make three of those four seventh-round picks in this year's draft class. I'd like to conclude with a few of your questions. And we've got a, a good group here. Uh, I would like to remind you right off the bat that you can submit questions via audio. We've got a service called SpeakPipe. You can access it in the show notes for each and every episode. So check it out uh, either in your podcast player or on thepowersweep.com after we post uh, the show notes there. We've tried to do a better job about that. We've been trying to do a better job about that and get those up so you've got a new way to interact with the show there. Uh, Just uh, helps us organize all the information about what's in the show and, and how you can get in touch with the show there too. And I mentioned that because right off the bat, we've got a question via audio from Benny. So take it away, Benny. I was just listening to your uh, episode 643 about um, cornerbacks, that um, your, your breakdown of corners. And it just got me thinking, when you were talking about safeties that the Packers could possibly draft and talking about how a lot of them play more like a slot corner, and that's kind of where our need is right now, do you possibly think the Packers could just end up drafting a one of those safeties that plays more like a slot corner and then just converting him to a slot corner in the NFL? Or do you think maybe that would not be a good route to go? But I think, I don't know, possibly that might actually work out better than drafting some of these corners. Let me know what you think. I think uh, I like what you're thinking there, Benny. And also be careful as you're speak piping and driving. 
it sounds like your turn signal was on there. So be careful. We want to retain as many Blue 58 listeners as we possibly can. And safe driving uh, plays a big part in that. But to your point, in a vacuum, I think that is a good way to go. If the Packers are looking for help in the slot, and I think they are, because let's let's consider their their situation here. You've got Jair Alexander at corner. You've got uh, Rasul Douglas at corner. You've got Eric Stokes at corner. In theory, Douglas is going to be your slot guy because uh, he played there a lot last year, but it looks like the Packers are going to need some help outside, so Rasul Douglas is probably going to be playing outside a little bit more as Eric Stokes comes back from his injury. That leaves you with Keyshawn Nixon and Darnell Savage to man the slot, and neither one is really a, a great answer there for a different reason. Savage was not great, though he was better when he played in the slot last year, and Keyshawn Nixon offers a lot of value elsewhere, so I'm not sure you're really looking to burn him a ton just playing in the slot, although uh, there's probably more value for him as a slot corner than as a returner uh, on a, a game-in, game-out basis. But still, uh, you probably are taking a little bit away from what he can do as a returner if you're playing him a bunch as a, a slot corner. So all that to say, the Packers, if they have a need in their cornerback room, it's a guy to manage things there in the slot. The problem is, if you're taking one of these safeties who can play in the slot, none of them were really that great athletically. There were a couple guides. Sidney Brown is one we talked about uh, being a big fan of who can do that kind of thing that are good athletes, but even then you're compromising on some other things. So I think if you're looking to just fill the role, just taking a safety who does a lot of slot type stuff and putting them there does accomplish that. The problem is it doesn't really line up with a lot of the strengths in this class because those guys have some real limitations at safety, even if they can do or did at least in college, those kind of slot cornerback, nickel defensive back sort of things. And on top of that, the Packers still need help at safety. They need a guy who can play that deep safety role, that cover two safety, that single high safety type stuff because they don't really have that in Darnell Savage right now. Rudy Ford was up and down last year. Adrian Amos is gone, and I'm not sure he's really a solution for the Packers there anyway. Taking a safety who can play in the slot does help you in the slot, but it still doesn't help you at safety all that much. So in a vacuum, yes, Benny, I think good idea. For this class in particular, I'm not sure how much it really helps you solve those problems. Koftek asks via our Discord server, with the first round pick swap in mind, has this made you change what you hope the Packers will draft? Not really. My hopes haven't changed all that much. and I'm not really sure what I'm hoping for with the first round pick. I guess if I had to say something I'm hoping for, I would say just don't draft a guy who seems like you need a big explanation for early on. For instance, if you look at the consensus mock draft, mock draft... Uh, the guy the Packers are, are slotted to take most often is Dalton Kincaid, the tight end out of Utah. That's a little bit of a concern for me for injury reasons, for role reasons. That seems like a reach for me at pick number 13. He doesn't seem like a guy who's going to offer a ton of upside at that slot. And the same kind of is true, I think, of of Michael Mayer. He seems like a really solid player. But I think at at 13, you're looking for a guy who has the potential to be a difference maker. So to answer the question specifically, it doesn't make me super optimistic about who the Packers could trade, but it does make me slightly more optimistic about things getting wild in front of the Packers and that being able to help the Packers a little bit more quickly. Because 15 and 13 aren't all that different technically, but 
if things get crazy in front of you, if there's a run at quarterback, if, if, you know, passers start going off the board higher in some cases than people think, say, you know, something crazy and, you know, you, you have something crazy happens and you've got Bryce Young that goes first, which I think is the expected thing. But then maybe Will Levis shows up somewhere or, or Hendon Hooker. There's been some talk about him going super high. CJ Stroud is still out there. Maybe somebody really decides, oh, crap, we got to go up and get Anthony Richardson. Maybe suddenly you've got four or five quarterbacks going in the top 10. And previously we thought only maybe two or three might go that high. Well, that's pushing somebody down to the Packers. And just by moving up those two slots, you've got a better chance of getting something really wild happening. For instance, oh, and I should mention this now. I did a a mock draft, uh, the one and only mock draft we do every year, and uh, posted it at thepowersweep.com. Talked through it a little bit in a post there today. Um, but just playing around with Pro Football Focus's mock draft simulator, just trying to get familiar with the tool before I did the one that counted. The first one that I tried out, just a two or three round practice mock draft, Paris Johnson, the big tackle out of uh, Ohio State, fell to me at 13. And I think if something like that happens, the Packers are, are going to be really excited about who they get because they got one of the consensus top guys pushed all the way down to 13. So specifically being at 13 doesn't give me a whole lot of optimism about getting a specific guy, but it does give the Packers just slightly more in terms of an edge at at taking advantage of something weird happening. Not a lot more, but some more. For next question, the Jet Sweep guy writes, Ron Wolf talked about finding quote-unquote field tilters in the draft. Pick 13 seems like a prime place to do that. Which potential field tilters do you think will be available at pick 13? Would it be wise for the Packers to take one and do you think they actually will? So I think field tilters is less about specific players and more about philosophy. Uh, and as it pertains to this draft, I think there needs to be somebody who would fall to get somebody like a true field tilter, somebody who's really one of the blue chip studs uh, to fall to the Packers. I think that you would need some wild things to happen, but that that is part of what comes with being at 13. I don't know if you're going to have a real shot at a true field-tilting prospect at 13, but again, it is a prime territory for somebody to fall, and it is prime territory to take a guy with great physical attributes, which I think really dovetails with that philosophy of getting a field-tilter. Because if you're looking at what that sort of player is, what is a guy who tilts things majorly in your advantage, I think it boils down to in a lot of ways, being able to apply the athleticism you have to a role that really benefits your team. So that's where your super duper athlete offensive linemen and super duper athletic edge rushers uh, come into play. That's why I think guys, guys like Miles Murphy and Lucas Van Ness should be in play for the Packers at 13, even if they're not the, the best of the best, the cream of the crop at their position in this draft. If you're looking for somebody who kind of fits into that mold of a field tilting sort of player, an athletic edge rusher is really a great example of that kind of player. Somebody who can physically dominate the opposing offensive line, make things difficult for the opposing quarterback, that tilts the field in your advantage. But also, I think you have to be looking at stuff like versatility. Offensive linemen who can play multiple positions. Tight ends who can line up you know, as a Y in line and then play in the slot, split out Y, something like that. Running backs who have value as a returner, as a pass catcher, in addition to being a great runner. And then wide receivers who can play in the slot or just have speed to burn all over the formation. Those are field-tilting sort of players. And I think throughout the draft, if you have that 
philosophy of trying to find guys who really give you an edge, there are options like that at every point in the draft. There's a lot of offensive linemen who can play multiple positions in this year's class. There's a lot of athletic tight ends who can line up in line or like an H-back or like a Robert Tunyon weak side sort of tight end and out in the slot. There are a lot of running backs who can who can do returning type stuff, who can who can catch passes, who like Keaton Mitchell, like we talked about, who can just run really fast. And receivers can play inside, outside. A lot of great physical attributes available at the receiver position. So in terms of getting just a blue chip player at 13, maybe not. But in terms of having an opportunity to to pick a guy with some attributes that could develop into a field tilting sort of player, yeah, I think that is very much in play. Finally, I want to close with this question, a two-parter from uh, Discord regular Ray Pace Bay, who writes, do you feel like you have more appreciation for non-Packers drafted now after doing pod coverage for a while? Do those key guys that make you focus and hope when Green Bay is on the clock stay with you much after they go to some team you barely think about? And I would say this year more than most, I've really realized that, yes, that is the case. Um, Paying attention to the draft is difficult. It demands if you want to do a podcast where you're you're providing good information, and I, I hope we do that, about the draft. There's a lot of research required. You've got to do a lot of reading about guys, a lot of digging, a lot of sorting through numbers, even if it's just compiling stuff like relative athletic scores or heights and weights and stuff like that. There's a lot of stuff to sort through. But it does benefit you down the road. Being able to look back at your notes and say, oh, we talked about this guy. We thought he was a really, really interesting player. We talked about how he was, you know, like a tier one prospect for us or a tier three prospect for us. Or, you know, we really like this about his game. That is beneficial down the road. But also, in a very human sort of way, it makes you appreciate the work that guys have put in to get to this point. I like reading through Dane Brugler's Beast every year just to read about the guys that maybe had to go to a couple of schools, maybe had to be in a non-optimal situation for a while, maybe had to go through th- some stuff as a kid or, you know, dealt with some family stuff, dealt with some off-field stuff that wasn't their fault uh, and just kept plugging away and kept putting in the work and worked and worked and worked to get to this point. Because, you know, as much as we talk about natural athleticism and being supremely gifted, having to carry you to this point, and I think that is true, that only takes you so far. And all of these guys, however gifted they are, have put in a lot of work to be that to get to this point, to be good enough to be talked about as a draft prospect in the draft, whether it's this year or next year or in the past. It takes a lot of work to get here. And just talking about all that kind of stuff makes me appreciate what these guys do more and more. And it makes me appreciate the human element, the the excitement, the disappointment the frustration, the joy, all of the good things that go into this. And I think maybe being a dad now, I really appreciate those moments when you see the guys get to the stage and hug hug Roger Goodell. Because for a lot of them, I think it's got to be a relief as much as anything. It's exciting for sure, but it's a relief to just be like, this was the goal for so long. And now it's here. We made it. We, We got there. We did something. And that... I think is the big thing that I, I really enjoy about doing this part of the podcast is learning about a little bit about all of those stories, about how guys develop from a you know 215-pound high school tight end into a 300-pound 
offensive lineman who's going to go in the first round. The guy who was five foot nine until he was a sophomore in high school, and suddenly he's six foot two, and he is becoming a great wide receiver. The cornerback who was always too small, but just had to find the right opportunity, and now he's going to be a first or second round pick. All that kind of stuff is really cool. And digging up nuggets like that, finding out the nuggets, that's a lot of fun. And and appreciating those little human stories, I think, is what makes all of this worthwhile. And circling back to the, the Aaron Rodgers part of this podcast, thinking about how all of this makes you feel, I think is the most important thing. Because I'm not an NFL GM. Hopefully, if you're listening to this, you're not an NFL GM. If you are, what are you doing with your time? Please, honestly, do something else for your own benefit. If you're wasting time listening to this podcast and you've got a job in the NFL, find a different hobby. I could introduce you to Dungeons & Dragons. It's a great way to kill a bunch of time. Uh, But all those little human stories are what makes give you the feelings about this sort of stuff, make you excited, make you excited for these people as human beings. And that's the part that I, I hope that I never lose as a sports fan. And I hope you never do either because it's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to make you feel things and get you excited and be enjoyable and getting hung up on who the Packers should have drafted or didn't draft or stuff like that. Yeah, that can be true and real sometimes, but I hope that you have fun with this above all else. I hope you enjoy the stories and getting to know these guys and seeing them succeed because that's a real easy way to root for other human beings to do well. And I think that's something we could all do a little bit more of. So maybe just try to carry that a little bit through this NFL draft weekend as well. Want these guys to do well because they've put in a lot of work and a lot of them come from not necessarily great situations. You don't have to look a a whole lot into a lot of histories here to find guys that didn't come from very much and now are on the cusp of making it into something really big. That's pretty exciting. And it's a lot of fun to see that happen. In the meantime, that's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. That's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time after the first round of the NFL Draft on Blue 58.